You are listening to The Scope, Phelps Health Podcast, episode 23. Today, we're talking about emergency management. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Paige Heitman. The Scope Podcast is produced on a regular basis and can be found by visiting phelpshealth.org. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your SoundCloud stream or subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. All links are in the show notes. Now, let's get into the show. Today, our guest is Wendy Squires, Emergency Management Specialist at Phelps Health. Wendy, welcome to our show today. Hi, thanks for having me. We're super excited to have you. I know a lot of people don't really know what emergency management is, so we're super excited to dive in. <laughs> but before we do, before we let everybody know how awesome you are and how awesome your role is, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, um, I am actually uh, from originally from St. Louis. I'm an implant here because I uh, retired from the Air Force and I used to teach emergency management down at Fort Leonard Wood. Um, I went to school and got my bachelor's degree in disaster and emergency management from the American Military University, which is an online school and really helpful in this kind of a, a job. Yeah, absolutely. I followed up when I uh, got more into my uh, civilian science sector and did my master's in public administration, which is very helpful for what I do every day. I find that to be the most helpful degree I have, actually. I am a jack of all trades. I love everything. I'm an avid traveler. Uh, I have eight states to go, actually. So I wow, out of fifty, out of fifty, that's amazing. Yes, yes. I can't wait to get those done and brag all about it. I'm sure there's lots of people out there that have done uh-huh. it. Can you name me. off the eight that you have left? Um, yeah, mostly, <laughs> yes. Sometimes I get a little confused because I forget Delaware. I've, mm-hmm. I've been all around Delaware, and I forget that that's the one out of that little group that I need still. So it's kind of funny. <laughs> Little tiny little place, right? Yeah, it's like the but last one you think of, right? You're right, exactly. So, and then, you know, I when I retired, I was looking for a job, and I really wanted to stay in this area. Mm-hmm. I love the Ozarks. I love this community. I love this area, and Phelps Health was a perfect fit. It's, you know, at the time when I retired in 2010, we were still growing and substantially, and I thought, what a great place to get in there and help them grow and you know, my daughters had come for um, different medical services, and I just kind of fell in love with the place. So that's amazing, awesome. So you've been yeah. here for a whole decade, then. I have. When you put fantastic. it like that, I feel really old. <laughs> you should. <laughs> yeah, that's great. ten years that we've been lucky to have you. Nice. So, have you been in emergency management the whole time that you've been at Phelps Health? I have. I have. I I came on under um, Debbie Hallinar and worked with her as um, the emergency management specialist, and now I work under Lindy Marrow and. I uh, I have. I've done this for that entire time. That's so. incredible. So kind of to get us started, why does Phelps Health even have emergency management? What's the purpose of what you've been doing for the last decade? Well, ultimately, it's to keep people safe. Um, so emergency management, a lot of people are like, what the heck is that, yes. right? So emergency management is basically it is the process of just planning for anything that will make us unsafe. You know, in a hospital, we don't want to bring a patient in and then put them into a, a, a substantial unsafe situation, such as, you know, Missouri weather is a top. Tornadoes is our top threat here in this state, and we need to be prepared of what we're going to do, how we're going to do it, and how we're going to bounce back and keep our patients safe, our visitors safe, our staff safe, and then that way, what we'll do by doing that is then we'll be able to bounce back and keep our community going after a disaster. And we don't have to, you know, think about how, how do we do this then. We already have it in place. And so I plan for all of that for us. So, so I know you say tornadoes, but 
this year we've had a very interesting event occur. We've had COVID-19. Yeah. So how has Phelps Health been impacted from, you know, an emergency management perspective with COVID-19? Oh, well, that one's a big one. We've <laughs> planned um, for years for pandemics for a very long time. 1918, we've wow. heard it on the news. We've talked about it yeah, a flu. million times, right? The Spanish flu. And we've known, we've had H1N1 in the past in 2009. We had Ebola just a few years ago that it was had the potential to grow. And so we've been planning for something like this for a number of years. Um, this year, we got to actually you know, implement the plan, which is kind of exciting in my field. It's a little odd sounding, but it's exciting to see your plan go into effect. You know, I worked with Debbie Hallinar and the infection prevention director and her staff and her committee. And we've, we built a plan and we kind of grew that plan into the COVID-19 plan now. So what role does infection prevention play as part of emergency management? Why is that even important? They're the experts. You know, I, I kind of get what my part of my job is to do is to know who the expert is in what areas and to pull them in and, and you know, pick their brain and say, hey, let's, let's put together some plans on what would we do if we had a pandemic? How would we handle that with, you know, staffing and how would we handle that with the need for PPE for that? You know, what do we, what do we wear? Like the masks that we all now live in 24-7, yes. right? And things like that, so we, I use them as the experts. So not only do you use this really cool internal team called infection prevention, you often go outside in the community, correct? Correct. And what does that look like? So to back to our tornadoes, you know, in a tornado, your expected result of a direct hit would be a lot of, of uh, damage, right? So mm -hmm. that will bring in a lot of other entities such as RMU, I work with them, you know, Occasionally, not as often because it's pretty much our plans are set in place, but I work with our fire department. I work with our local emergency management directors. I work with other hospitals, the long-term care facilities in the area. And I work with our healthcare coalition. Um, I'm one of the leaders on that. And so I work with everybody who might be affected by our not being up and running in a disaster. Um, also ones that can help us. So the fire department, for example, if we had a reason to have to evacuate our facility, we can go to them and say, help, we need your help. You know, they can help us evacuate. Oh, I forgot the police departments, you know, the sheriff department. Same thing, if we have an active shooter, who are we calling? You know, things like that. So I work with them on all of our different needs and what their needs are. We've helped them out also through some of the COVID as well with, you know, trying to work some PPE issues with them as, uh, um, to make sure that they're protected and can protect us then. So whenever you talk about working with all these different partnerships, do you ever do real life scenarios? Do you do training on site for employees or even for like cops? Do they come in? I do. We do. Um, normally we, I think last year in 2019, we logged five different training events um, that affected the hospital, DDCI, our main campus area, uh, and the MOB, can't leave them out, or Annex. Um, and then I do some of our offsite locations. We do, we practice our doing our drills is what a lot of people call it. Mm -hmm. Um, on what we could expect if we had a different disaster type scenario and then we practice it. What are you going to do? You know, it's muscle memory. So the more you walk through it, the better you're going to know it. It's go back to grade school and you're doing the fire drills, right? And we know how to get out of our classroom and walk outside safely and not knock Billy Joe down, you know? What so. do you think would happen if you guys didn't do those types of drills? 
Oh, that one's pretty much, there's a lot of studies out there on what does happen. And it's that people don't know what to do in an emergency. We freeze. If we have to think it through when it's happening, we're going to forget something very important. That might be as simple as you forget to take the patient with you. You know, you forget. It can it's probably a flight response. Right? It is. It is when you get into those situations. So to keep everybody protected, we really, we really practice a lot. Yeah, you drive at home. I previously used to work at the foundation, and I remember one time you came in and you did an active shooter drill with us, <laughs> and it was a it was a couple hour long training. But whenever I left that, I felt like I was prepared right. for you know in the event if that were to happen at Phelps Health. But luckily, that's never happened, and hopefully, never will. But well, <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, what are some of the key components or questions that you guys consider whenever you're creating these emergency management plans? So we start with the basics. What are our disasters that we're susceptible to? What what makes us vulnerable? You know, active shooters, obviously, as you said, that's mm -hmm. you know that is one of the country's biggest you know in their mind besides COVID, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> uh, fires and tornadoes and such. So we we go through and we rank those. And my, I have a committee that I work with, and we take into consideration what we have in place as far as protection factors, what our training level is on certain areas. And then we kind of grow from there. So bring in the experts and talk about where our, our hazard vulnerability is at. And then we start putting together some check sheets on what do we do if a tornado is coming. We all know what, you know, severe weather level one and two is, is what we call it here is tornado watch, tornado warning. And what do you do if there's a tornado watch? So the we there's potential for a tornado you know and so then we need to be a little bit prepared and then you know tornado warnings well then there's a, a you know a likelihood that the tornado is coming at us so then what do i do what steps do we take so we build the steps with our experts with our people and then we walk it through and see did does this actually mm -hmm. work you know would this work oh uh, well you know we make tweaks and we fix things and then we grow into our exercises and we put it in play and a lot of times we find mistakes that we couldn't have saw without doing the, the actual, actual exercise. exercise. Yes. Okay, so. so that was kind of my, my next question that oh. I wrote down while you were talking about this. How often do you reevaluate your plans? Do you find that every time you do this, you're like, okay, next time we got to do this? Absolutely. That is a living document. Every emergency management plan out there or business continuity plan for that matter is a living document. And you, each time we put it into play, we find something. You know, we, we find something that we can grow from. We also find our strengths and we're, you know, we, we get real cheerleadery about our strengths and we did great on this and that, but let's grow on this area, you know? Yeah. You take a little bit longer to focus on your strengths. So it's been a, it's yes. been a long year. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so how was Phelps Health Emergency Plan put into effect whenever COVID-19 began in March? Because you had said before we started this podcast, you guys have been planning for this for a long time. Right, right. So we started noticing, like a lot of people did, what was going on in China. And so myself and Debbie Helenar started chatting about it on the regular, along with her, the rest of her staff as well. We sat, we compared numbers, and we were looking at what was coming out. And we started realizing that this was growing. It was a possibility it could reach the United States. Mm -hmm. So we started talking about what did that look like. Um, and, and our big conversations all happened in January. We brought in our materials management director, Mike Barton. He came in and we started talking about, well, how can we supplement some of our PPE so that we're the most ready we can possibly be? So months before 
we behind the scenes we're, we're researching and reading daily and trying to figure out how can we make sure everybody's ready and we're putting out signs around um, the hospital and starting to talk with other staff members about you know what was going on out there in the world and so and then when it became the appropriate time to actually stand up and start funneling all of our decision making mm -hmm. um, through our incident command team then in March we stood up our incident command team and and it's been non-stop since now, say <laughs> so. incident command team what does that mean so our incident command team are people that, uh, so if, we're, if we have an incident command team stood mm -hmm. up, basically what that means is we're operating in other than normal circumstances. Okay. So something outside of normal everyday monotony, right? So we stand up folks that would be good in different key roles. And typically at this, for us, the majority of the time, it ends up being our key leaders of the hospital mm -hmm. and the clinics as well and they make decisions for the incident. Um, so we go through and then it becomes kind of business as usual, but it's directed at COVID-19 response. So the decision to put up the testing site outside of our ED, you know, came through an incident command team's expertise and under their guidance on this is the best thing for us, for our community. Mm -hmm. And so it came from a bunch of leaders who had strong expertise in the area of healthcare, right? Right, absolutely. It's our healthcare leaders from within Phelps Health. Mm -hmm. um, and then we also did, you know, incorporate some folks from outside to help us out, and you know, to fire department and the and the police department helped with their expertise on setting up that particular location. That's just one of many things that we've done. We've worked with Missouri S and T on all of this just as well because of their, you know, being right here with us and big part of the community. Um, but to, you know, to make sure that we're doing the right setup. So Yeah, absolutely. So whenever mm -hmm. you do stuff like that, another part of that I think people forget is how much you are heavily involved in communication. So what means of communication are typically used whenever an emergency plan is in effect? So it, it depends on the situation at hand. So we have a lot of redundancy built into our communications. That way we can try to ward off any reason that we wouldn't be able to communicate. We have, uh, we have apps that we use that give us certain different groups of folks that they can communicate quickly, just certain pieces of information. We have, of course, the regular phones. We have radios. We have amateur radio. We have VHF radios. We have radios that can talk to all of our first responders in this area. We can reach out beyond that as well. Um, and then we have our overhead paging that we can use and we do use for emergencies or other. Um, we use email if it's right appropriate. COVID-19 is a good example of using things like email. Um, we have a disaster hotline. We have a lot of layers <laughs> of communication, ending, right? right? We want to make sure communication is key. And that is always one after the fact, when everything is said and done and we're putting together reports on what did we do well and what can we grow from, we always find some piece of communication that could have been mm -hmm. better. So. Yes. Well, it's because a lot of times, too, you have an internal audience, but then you also have an external audience. And right. whenever you're reaching out to thousands and thousands of people, right. you're always going to miss something. Oh, and <laughs> yes. And don't let me forget that the, I think personally the biggest um, communication platform that we have right at the moment is through you guys, through mm -hmm. podcasts and through social media, which has been instrumental in making sure the community knows what we are doing how we're offering things and to ward off some of those rumors that get started because people just don't know. 
Yes, absolutely. So. The, the lack of information can also sometimes be misinformation. So you're right. You can yes. never communicate too much during, right. during pandemics or any other type any of other. emergency. Mm -hmm. So speaking about external communication, how can the community support an organization that's operating through an emergency plan? Probably the, the best way for them to um, help us is to help themselves, is to stay safe, help their neighbors, and keep out of the hospital. You know, don't come, don't come rushing over here quite yet. Let us tell you when we need help. But keep your neighbors safe. We have, there's a program out there. It's the Community Emergency Response Team. It's a volunteer team. It's throughout the country, the whole nation, and it actually started because of earthquakes in California. Yeah. The Los Angeles Fire Department out there decided that after a number of earthquakes, people would rush out to help people, others, and they wouldn't realize that they're just actually getting hurt themselves or ending up in the hospitals or mm -hmm. needing to be rescued. So they decided that the country decided to create a program to train folks. And then that's the key thing with that CERT team is to help yourself, help your family, help your neighbors. And, and then we'll ask you when we need some help. So. Mm -hmm. How does somebody get involved in a CERT program around here? Well, one of the things they can do is, first of all, Google CERT. <laughs> that is the quickest way to find out all of the details on what it is and what it, what it entails. But uh, usually once a year, uh, typically in March, of course, you know, this year's been a little strange, but they did have training. They have training out at the MRPC in St. James. Okay. And it's a CERT training. It's open to anybody. It's free. Mm -hmm. It's a two and a half, three day training. Mm -hmm. um, and, it, and it'll get them going. And then if they want to join a team, then they can look online to find a team to join or I can help if they are interested and everybody that goes to that training gets given my information. That, you know, wow, it's can, that easy. It is that easy. <laughs> you sure you want to share your I know. <laughs> we want the most people trained because, yes. you know, part of the thing, one of the things that, uh, that struck me on that training is that people learn how to turn off the gas to their house. You know, if you have uh, propane or you have natural gas mm -hmm. or any anything going to your house, they learn what it, that what that means mm -hmm. to do that, and that's just something. And stay away from power lines, things that seem so simple mm -hmm. that a lot of people just don't know. Yeah, it's a lot yes. of good common sense type it training. Is. It's things you don't learn in high school. You probably don't learn in college. Probably don't learn now. So how I know I did it. it? <laughs> yeah, right, same. absolutely. What are the different phases of an emergency preparedness plan, and do they always work in this order? Um, so we have uh, four phases, mitigation, preparedness, response, and recovery, and um, they, they are not really meant to work in that order. So I plan for um, the response phase, which is actively mm -hmm. in a disaster. Obviously, recovery is recovering after the disaster, and mitigation is wording off anything that um, you know, putting it in place uh, a shelter location or putting into place checklists on what to do, um, things like that. And then uh, preparedness is kind of blends in with mitigation. So, or like the shutters we have at the ED that, you know, we close during severe weather. Mm -hmm. That'd be mitigation efforts. So, but I live in the, in the response phase, essentially. So that's where the majority of everything happens. Why do you think everything happens in the response phase? Uh, it's basically because that's when the disaster is struck and now we're responding to it. So the, the, 
that's where we have to put the majority of our efforts is, is to make sure everybody's ready to respond. Mm -hmm. Beforehand, eh, people don't even know mitigation happens. They don't realize that those shutters in the ED are we're closed. closed. <laughs> oh yeah, they close and that why we close them is they're like, oh okay, we'll close them. But they didn't realize that we had thought that through you know, years and years before, mm -hmm. so. What about recovery? Once the disaster has happened, so like once COVID is over, at some point in time in the future, whenever that is, mm -hmm. how long does recovery last on like pandemics or, you know, a tornado, whatever it is? Right, well, recovery, um, first and foremost, it begins the day that the disaster strikes. We start recovery as soon as we start the response. Mm -hmm. they, they happen together because, you know, um, you got to know what you have to do to recover when you're doing the piece, putting the pieces into place. Um, and recovery can take years. Uh, from from COVID-19, I would expect recovery will be years for, from now, and we'll still be mm -hmm. seeing some of the after effects. For that matter, we still see some of the after effects and some of the recovery phases of things like the Joplin tornado, even still years and years later, you know, just little pieces, little subtle things. Mm -hmm. But you don't think about it until you really think about it, right? right? Or until you go and visit Joplin and you see that there's still buildings or there's still right. people living in poverty exactly. that still need assistance type right. of thing. Probably one of the longest things is flooding and hurricanes because it, it, you know, wreaks mm -hmm. a lot of damage. And there's still, you know, you have towns that close down because of floods and hurricanes. And, mm -hmm. you know, we had Hurricane Michael down in uh, Panama City a, f a few years ago, and now they're expecting yet another hurricane to hit into the Gulf area. And, you know, these folks are just shell-shocked from all these hurricanes, but they're still in a huge piece of, they haven't even really touched recovery yet down there. Mm -hmm. And that's been two years now. Yeah, because they keep getting hit, you're right. Uh, yeah, so you and, they, and it, just, it takes so long just to recover and to rebuild and mm -hmm. to kind of go back to some semblance of normal once that that kind of damage has happened. Yes, so, well a lot of people still talk about Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans and how right. terrible that was. Right, absolutely. So whenever we talk about emergencies and disasters, I know you mentioned tornadoes are one of the biggest ones for our area. Are there any other disasters that are, you know, pretty prevalent or things that you guys prepare for? We, um, yes, we prepare for a, a bigger thing or a bigger event again is uh, besides tornadoes is an IT outage these days. So we're so reliant upon mm -hmm. our um, technology that an outage is going to put us into a outside of normal operations mode, mm -hmm. which would be then categorized yes, as an emergency or disaster. Mm -hmm. So um, there's a lot, and that's fairly new. I mean, it, within the last couple of five to 10 years, it's mm -hmm. really grown into this what if scenario. And so that's another one of them. We have a, quite a few in this area. Mm -hmm. um, luckily where the hospital sits, we don't have to worry about flooding. However, flooding does affect us because that can put people into our hospital, a few extras. It can also affect our home health, our home care, which we, plan for um, disasters with them as well. And the same for our EMS. They uh, have to plan for different scenarios mm -hmm. too. So what type of exercises does Phelps Health do to prepare for emergencies or disasters? Like any of these things, whether it's EMS or home care or whatever it is, how do you prepare them? So we'll pick a scenario each year and try to incorporate as many entities as we can. So if it's you know, the hospital and we're gonna do a active shooter or an abduction type of a thing. We'll try to incorporate some of our locals, our police department, the highway patrol, Missouri S&T um, uh, police, uh, Rolla police, the sheriff, any of them. We try to incorporate them into it. And 
So we'll have any kind of a scenario that seems like we haven't done in a little while, maybe, because we can't do everything every year. You wouldn't have enough time. We would not have enough time. So, you know, we'll push down and maybe not try to do tornadoes every year, but we'll do uh, an active shooter drill one year. And then the next year we'll do something that would be with an IT. We mm -hmm. did that a couple of years ago now. We'll do an abduction, mm -hmm. which those one, those are my favorites because everybody gets involved in that really big time. Um, but yeah, so we'll just pick a, a few of our top threats for this area and we'll run through the scenarios. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay, so I have one more question before we wrap up and it's, it's kind of a funny question I think to me. How much time do you spend watching the news? I have to know because of what you do for a living. <laughs> I spend all uh, so much time. I spend so much time on the news, and uh, my majority of my day, that's pretty much what I did all morning, actually. Yeah, I was watching the news. Yeah, you said that before we started the podcast, so I had to ask. I know. I, I, watch, I watch the news constantly to pick out. It, it, you know, I go back to, um, I giggle a lot about it from. Uh, it's Men in Black, and they go to the uh, the rags, right? They go to the the magazines to find what's going on out in the world. I kind of do that. I, I scour Facebook and I look at the news and I try to pick out things <laughs> that stand out triggers is what we call them. And I, but I have to spend quite a lot of time doing that. I spend a lot of time on the news researching, and then I know, and I don't look at the news at night anymore. I don't I blame just you. I cannot do it anymore. Yeah, you're our trigger finder here. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, well, I think that's a great place to wrap up the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thanks for having Super me. Super informative. Yeah. So, thanks so much for tuning into the scope. If you liked our show and would like to know more, check out thoughtshealth.org. Thanks so much. <laughs>